Listener Production. Hello, you're listening to The Briefing. I'm Jan Fran, and on today's episode... Police in New South Wales have laid charges overnight against rugby league star Jared Hayne, alleging he sexually assaulted a woman on the night of the NRL Grand Final. Jared Hayne is at home after being found guilty of sexual assault for the second time in a third trial. Former NRL star Jared Hayne is back in court this morning after he was found guilty of two counts of sexual assault. You've probably all heard the headlines. A former NRL star player now convicted of sexual assault in a series of trials that spanned six years. So Jared Hayne is expected to be sentenced later today. So this is depending on when you're listening. It may have already happened. So on this episode, we're going to take a look at the backstory because it is a long and complicated one. The backstory of Jared Hayne's massive fall from grace and why it's taken so long to get this conviction and what it means for the NRL moving forward. The NRL has flagged that it intends to move to strip Hayne of his two Dallium medals, uh, but they have said, you know, that's going to come after all of the legal stuff has played out in court. That was journalist Sasha Barbagat, their host of This Ivo in Sydney. She's been following the story very, very closely. She joins us a little bit later in the show. But first, as always... Big stories making news today, Friday, May 12th, with me and Rihanna Patrick. Opposition leader Peter Dutton has given his budget reply speech overnight. Millions of middle Australians, the backbone of our country, are worse off. The government is spending an additional $185 billion, yet middle-income Australians won't receive one cent. He accused the government of failing to cater for an influx of 1.5 million migrants, saying there would not be enough housing and infrastructure for them, exacerbating existing issues. He also pointed out 10 million Australians are facing a tax hike, unemployment is expected to rise, and despite the energy bill relief in the budget, people's energy bills will go up by $500. Jan, what did you make of the Coalition's response? Look, I thought, uh, particularly on the point of the um, immigration, because that's the point that Peter Dutton went hardest on. I should say there are a bunch of stuff that the coalition agrees with here. Um, you know, Dutton's back Labor's boost to aged care funding. They back the bulk billing incentives. They back the single parent payment. They support raising job seeker payments for the over 55s, although they do want those on unemployment payments to be able to work more uh, rather than than, than get a um, welfare increase. The immigration point, like I said, was the point that Dutton went quite hard on, saying Labor has plans to bring all of these people to Australia, but they don't have plans to take care of the people when they're here. The funny thing is that in the coalition's budget in 2019, this was when Dutton was Home Affairs Minister, they had forecast a very similar number of migrants over a very similar time period. Labor's saying there'll be about 1.5 million over three years. The coalition in 2019 forecast 1.3 million over five years. And that wasn't a problem for Dutton then. Um, the numbers seem to be a problem for Dutton now. So there's questions around, okay, that seems a bit weird, bit of hypocrisy there or what's going on. The coalition also didn't really put forward too many of their own policies and how they would um, tackle all of the major problems that Australia is facing at the moment. Even though Dutton went hard on outlining what the problems were, which we're all aware of, didn't really provide a huge outline on on their solutions. He did say they would lower taxes, they'd bring in nuclear power, they'd ban sports betting. Again, these are sort of policies that kind of skirt around the edges of some of the issues that Australia is facing. 
overall, not not a, not a hugely strong reply. The Trade Minister Don Farrell is in China trying to convince Beijing to lift the rest of the export restrictions installed at the outbreak of the pandemic in 2020. China has been slowly easing some of the trade barriers it slapped on Australian goods, with coal, copper and cotton now back to normal. The government is now hoping barley tariffs will be dropped, along with restrictions on wine and lobsters. So hopefully some good news there for particularly primary producers. Well, I think people are cautiously optimistic. You know, I know farmers are cautiously optimistic. There has been a thawing of relations between Australia and China. I remember we sort of started this podcast in in 2020 and it seemed like every second day or so there was a story about how, you know, we were in China's bad books, about how they kicked journalists out of the country, about how relations were increasingly tense between the two countries. Mm-hmm. That appears to be, um, I mean, it's certainly still there, but it, it's it's lessened a little bit. So um, John Farrell, who's the trade minister, he's the second senior Australian minister to travel to China. This was since Beijing lifted a sort of a diplomatic freeze against Australia. Penny Wong travelled there in, in 2022. She was the first. Our PM, Albo, met with Xi Jinping at the G20 in Bali. So, you know, things are kind of slowly moving in, in the right direction there between China and, and Australia, but there are some very big questions that, um, that, that remain unresolved, including influence in and around the region, particularly the Pacific, and obviously China being very, very uh, unhappy, shall we say, with our purchasing of, of submarines in the Orca Steel. U.S. President Joe Biden may end up cancelling his trip to Australia for the Quad Leaders Summit as America is due to run out of money to pay its bills by June. Republican and Democratic lawmakers have so far failed to reach an agreement to lift the $31.4 trillion debt ceiling. Treasury has cautioned the government could default as soon as June 1. Biden has said he's still committed to coming to Australia, but that the debt ceiling is his highest priority. Fran, looks like there might not be enough money to put fuel into Air Force One. Oh. <laughs> well, you can't walk to Australia, so you need to fly. True. They've, they've got to find True. some solution there for that one. So the debt ceiling is the maximum amount of money that Congress allows the federal government to borrow to cover its bills. Uh it's it's a routine thing, uh, but now Republicans are kind of using this uh, extension to the debt ceiling as a way to kind of demand certain things. And Biden has said, no, you need to pass it with no strings attached. That's what the holdup is. And there is a June deadline if they don't resolve this by then. You know, things like people who work for government agencies won't get paid. Um, people on benefits might not get paid. So there are, there are definite consequences to not getting that passed and not raising the debt ceiling. In terms of Biden's visit to Australia, sure, may or may not happen. We may also get Kamala Harris. That's another thing. That's that's something else that's on the table. But this is a really a very watch this space story. Nothing set in stone. Google's AI chatbot Bard has launched in Australia. Until now, Bard was only available in the US and the UK. It's similar to ChatGPT. It can provide information, write code, translate languages and also analyse images. Google is now rolling it out to more than 180 countries around the world and has pledged to be ethical about it. So, for example, when AI creates a source text or information that it claims to be true, Bard will include an annotation on where the information was sourced and a link. So big plans here from Google to also integrate Bard into many of its products. 
I haven't used it a huge deal, but I have used it a little bit. And um, what I've used so far, I think is extremely accurate because I asked it, what is the briefing podcast? And it said, if you're looking for a comprehensive and informative daily news podcast, the briefing is a great option. It's the perfect way to start your day or stay informed on the go. So... So it's on the money is what you're saying. (laughs) (laughs) But it's also very interesting that anything created um, in that AI-generated content world is going to have watermarks and metadata identifying it as such. Um, And I think it's great that it's going to sort of combat this AI hallucination issue that comes up where uh, AI tends to create its own sources, which would be a lovely thing to be able to do, wouldn't it, Jan, just as a journalist, create your own sources. Um, But it's good that it's got this, you know, I get these further controls that the information is coming from somewhere reputable. Yeah, I'm going to give it a play for the rest of the day. If it's something that you're interested in, you should too. All right, that is it for our headlines this Friday. Up next, the backstory of Jared Haynes' massive fall from grace. I'm going to guess that by now, even if you're not an NRL fan or follower, you've probably heard the name Jared Haynes. That's because last month, the once superstar player was convicted of sexually assaulting a then 26-year-old woman at her home. This case has been extraordinary for a few reasons, one of them being that it's taken six years to get this latest conviction. Sasha Barber-Gatt is the host of This Arvo in Sydney. She's been following this story very, very closely. And I asked her to come into the studio with me to help unpack it. Sasha, g'day. This story has so many twists and turns and it's been a while in the making but I just want to start at the very beginning for somebody who's never really heard of Jared Hain doesn't really follow NRL who was Jared Hain? He was a household name when he played NRL footy he was born in Sydney his dad played professional rugby league for Souths uh, the western suburbs and also the Auckland Warriors and he also represented Fiji so his dad was a pretty big deal in footy and Haney's uh, one of three children, raised by a single mum. He grew up uh, in housing commission in Minto in Sydney's southwest. And he started his career in 2006 as an 18-year-old winger for the Parramatta Eels. And he won the NRL's Dallium Rookie of the Year award for that year. The following year, though, is when things really kicked off for Jared Hayne. He debuted for New South Wales uh, in the state of origin and for the Australian team internationally playing as a fullback. And he had a huge amount of success across his career. He was a phenomenal player and that's what kind of rocketed him up to the top. He won the Dallier medal in 2009 and again in 2014. He was the league's player of the year as well as the Rugby League International Federation's international player of the year in 2009. So just this massive career on the footy field, household name, the kids loved him. He, you know, all the kids had a jersey with Hayne on the back of it. But interestingly, one of the things that uh, Jared Hayne was one of the first to do was to go off and play in the NFL. Now, again, this is another one of those things that was pretty much unheard of. We had this this guy playing footy in Australia, and he he just quit the NRL and he flew off and he joined the San Francisco 49ers in the 2015 NFL season. It didn't last long though. He did make a debut in the in the team's first game of the season that year, but he kind of was relegated to the bench. He ended up quitting 
and uh, returning to the rugby league. So, I mean, I guess that sums up Jared Hayne as the man before all of this came out. So we're talking about somebody who wasn't just an NRL player. He was an NRL player at the top of his game. He reached the heights of heights. Yeah, and the thing as well with Jared Hayne is that Western Sydney is NRL heartland. So he's a boy from Western Sydney. He grew up there and he played fullback for Para and for the Blues. He was a hero and people put him up on this pedestal and he was just an absolute superstar. And then, of course, with the NFL thing, that also elevated him further because, you know, that stops it from just being for NRL fans going, oh, yeah, Jared Hayne, Jared Hayne, Jared Hayne. Then he goes over to the NFL. We all know, you know, we know America. We understand if a footy player from Australia goes to play in the NFL, that's a big Mm. deal. And the fact that he was picked, it was massive. Hayne Plain, Hayne Train, he had all these nicknames. So, yeah, it's what makes this fall from grace even bigger. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. What is he accused of exactly? Yeah, so Hayne was interviewed and charged by New South Wales Police in November of 2018 after a then 26-year-old woman alleged he raped her at her house in Newcastle seven weeks earlier. So this was the start of what would become years of in and out of court for Jared Hayne. There were three trials, right, with Jared. So the first was in November of 2020. He faced a jury trial in Newcastle, but it was delayed and it ended up stretching out into December of that year because of COVID. The court heard that the woman weighed 48 kilos while Hayne, who is six feet, two inches, was then 104 kilograms. Uh, He only called one witness in that case, a man who had also been communicating with the woman on September 30, 2018, and that witness claimed the woman had said if he didn't come over, she was going to say yes to Jared Hayne coming here to hang out. The court heard that on the night of the sexual assault, the then Parramatta Eels player had caught the end of the grand final between the Roosters and the Storm. So, yes, this was on grand final night back in 2018. Uh, Hayne said he had been jealous because he had had a chance to sign with them back in 2016, Uh, so making those comments to the victim. That trial ended up finishing up in a hung jury. Uh, They were unable to reach a verdict after two days of deliberations and the jury was discharged. So then the second Mm. trial kicks off. That was in March of 2021. And the prosecution there argued that Hayne had no reasonable grounds for believing the woman would have consented to any sexual activity that evening, but felt entitled to it, having missed watching the NRL grand final with friends to be with her. The defence went on to say, you know, Hayne obeyed the woman's decision to not have sex after she found out he had a taxi waiting outside, but then she later consented to oral and digital sex. Hayne was found guilty from that trial of two counts of sexual assault uh, and he was found not guilty, though, it's worth noting, of a more serious charge, which alleged he'd intentionally or recklessly physically harmed her. So after that trial in 2021, Hayne was sentenced to five years and eight months in prison. He had a non-parole period of three years and eight months and he was sentenced to that on May 6 of 2021. So that's the two first trials that kind of took place. But then he appealed that decision in February of last year and his convictions ended up being overturned on appeal and he had spent nine months in prison at that point. He walked free from Cooma Correctional Centre on February 15. But why he was granted that appeal was that his barrister had successfully argued the jury had been given profoundly wrong legal direction. So what happened then was that there was an order for a retrial. Now, this is the last one that we've that, that's just wrapped up. Uh, it began in March of this year. 
and Hayne pleaded not guilty to two counts of sexual intercourse without consent after being accused again of, of non-consensual oral and digital sex acts. So in this trial, the jury listened to tapes from the previous ones, uh, her testimony from the complainant and from Hayne. So what the defence argued was that the victim was open to Hayne kissing and, you know, pleasuring her and showed that she had deleted texts before she handed her phone to police. The prosecution argued that there was this defining moment and it came when the woman heard Haynes' taxi honk outside. So she had been open to the possibility of sex, but that evaporated as soon as she became aware that there was a taxi outside. So in this case, the jury deliberated uh, for over 20 hours and they found him guilty of both sexual assault charges and that was on April 4th of this year. It's worth noting Jared Hayne maintains his innocence. Uh, He says the sexual acts were consensual and he has flagged an appeal against the jury's verdicts. So that could still be to come. We might not be done yet. Okay, so the the woman who was uh, sexually assaulted by Jared Hayne, she's come out and, and, and spoken about this. What has she said? Yeah, that's right. So uh, an updated victim impact statement was read by the Crown Prosecutor this week. Uh, in that statement, uh, she said, I still don't know how to put any of this into words. She said her life had been launched into what feels like a never-ending nightmare since September 2018, more than four and a half years ago. She went on to say in this statement that after going through the first and second trials that she was hoping it would all be over and she could try and move on with her life and that she hadn't been able to move on or feel any sense of peace. And every time that there was a development or a new court date that she felt like she was reliving the trauma over again. She mentioned the relentless reporting on the story in the media and as well online commentary on social media. And she said that had been particularly difficult to handle uh, and that they have stayed with her, the comments that she's read and, and the way it's made her feel. Obviously, you know, anyone listening, someone who's gone through that, of course, the impacts are going to be quite tremendous on their life. I mean, this this story, as you've highlighted um, so wonderfully, has been going on for so long. Yeah. Why why is it such a big deal? Why is it a significant? Yeah. Well, I think you you've hit it on the head. There is is how long it's taken to play out in the courts. Three trials and appeal you know, a sentencing and then walking free after nine months. And remember as well, after this trial, he was actually, uh, he was found guilty in this trial. He was granted bail to to get his affairs in order before his sentencing. But then that was revoked. There've just been countless court cases. It's constantly been in the media. The problem as well that they found during the legal process was trying to find jurors who were able to participate with an open mind because of who Jared Hayne was. Think about it if you're in an AFL state, a huge AFL player going through such a high-profile trial. Everyone knows who they are. So it was a really, really long process. And the fact that it involved Mm. uh, one of the league's biggest players goes to show just what a big deal it was. What do you think the wider impact on on the game will be following the sentencing? Yeah, look, the NRL's long distanced itself from all of this. I don't think the on-field impact will be particularly big or strong. I think ever since the allegations surfaced, the NRL's distanced itself from Jared Hayne. He hasn't been playing, obviously. Mm. He hasn't been anywhere near a footy field. Um, However, the NRL has flagged that it intends to move to strip Hayne of his two Dalian medals. 
Uh, but they have said, you know, that's going to come after all of the legal stuff has played out in court. So that'll mean, you know, after sentencing today, if there's an appeal and the process of hearing that, you know, they're not going to do anything until it's all wrapped up. And it's worth noting as well, the NRL has really looked to take a very hardline stance on player misbehaviour off the field. They are not copying it anymore. There's already been stuff set in motion four and a half years ago when all this first came out. That was Sasha Barbagat, host of This Arvo in Sydney, unpacking the story of Jared Hayne and how we got to his latest conviction of sexual assault. That is it for our show today. That's it for the Monday to Friday show, actually, but the weekend briefing is always in your ear holes on Saturday. Jam, who have you got for us this week? Hello, team. I am bringing you such a great chat this weekend. I spoke with Sarah Harris, who is, of course, the newest host of The Project, previously on Studio 10. And this is less of the usual profile of of, of someone's life and career than I usually bring you for The Weekend Briefing. And that's because Sarah has two young kids uh, who she co-parents with her former partner. And she lives in Sydney and the project films most of the week in Melbourne. So she's living down here uh, three or four days a week as part of her work. And there's been some really crummy reporting on this. I don't even want to call it reporting. Let's not dignify it with that terminology. But some journos have, you know, sent some flack her way and questioned her about parenting. And that made me so ferociously angry. And I was just delighted when she agreed to come on the weekend briefing and talk about it and talk about what that means and talk about how she is making work and family work for her and for her family and how we start to get those outdated attitudes in the media and in our communities about working mothers to finally go away. This was such an excellent conversation and it is one not to miss. Oh, thanks, Jam. I look forward to listening to that one. Sarah Harris is just an absolute delight Uh, So thanks for bringing us that one. Uh, That's it. We're over and out for the week. A massive thank you to everyone who works on this show, not just obviously the people you hear. There is a team behind us, um, including senior producer Eleanor Harrison-Dengate and Helen Smith, Matt Kuzkari, who does all of our great production, and Poppy Manzi on socials. Thank you, everybody. Catch you next week. Listener.